This is a Shock Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Jonathan. Hi, everyone. This is Jed. And you're listening to episode nine of From Grit to Great podcast. Jed, yes. I haven't seen you <laughs> for a while. while. I know. I've been enjoying my free time at the moment in uh, Sri Lanka. I mean, amidst the uh, impending Omicron scattering all over the world, I feel a bit guilty, but at the same time enjoying as well. So I don't know. It's mixed feelings. So I can't really post Instagram stories <laughs> at the moment now because of you that. Feel, you feel guilty because while well, the rest of the world is suffering, yes. you're out there in a lavish resort. And yeah, well, it's, it's 2022. So I think before we start our conversation for today, let's talk about our New Year's resolutions. Are you okay? Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. Well, okay, you, you go first. Okay, my New Year's resolution, two things. I will stop overthinking situations. Ah, this yes. is something to do with our discussion later on. But So there is a skill called prospection. Prospection is the skill of being able to anticipate what's going to happen in the future, the ability to identify the details and therefore prepare for what's going to happen. So for example, if I'm going to undergo a specific talk with a client, I anticipate what are their needs, what do you think the audience will think about, how should I manage the technicalities of my Zoom, etc. There's an advantage to that because that means I have the ability to have the foresight to prepare for things. But on the other hand, it also makes me overthink situations that when I'm in a situation of, let's say, thinking about COVID-19, what could happen to my parents, what can happen to my business, I end up thinking of the worst case scenario, which causes me anxiety. So I want to manage how I think. And so that's going to be my resolution for the year. That's a good one. How about you? I think my only resolution for this year with regards to my, my business, obviously, is to just become bolder. You know, I've always been a very conservative person from the get-go, from, you know, being a university student to being a corporate worker. I've always been conservative with my decisions. I don't take a huge, huge leap. Although I could say that you know, doing this business and the entering entrepreneurship is a big leap. In terms of business, I have not been so. How, like, for example, with my marketing, with business growth, with scaling up, I'm holding back so much. Mm. So this year, I think I'm going to go bolder. I'm going to make bigger decisions. I'm going to get more investors. Meaning so you're going you're gonna to take more risks. I'm going to take more risk. Yeah. So, so that's pretty much what I'm going to do. And I think, you know, in business, you have to really take a lot of risks. I guess the, the last year was pretty much the tiptoeing around the bushes, seeing how I could, you know, swim around the seas at the moment. But this you year, know, it's going to be taking bigger, bigger risks. But you know, Jed, you also have to forgive yourself a little bit because you've only started this business for a year. It's true though. That, yeah, that's very true. And I guess it will really take years to reap the harvest as what they would say in businesses. But regardless, you know, take bigger risks is my resolution this year. So if I'm going to ask you on a scale of one to 10, and by the way, you have to give me a number because if you look at the past episodes, you did not answer <laughs> this number, by the way. It's so hard. If you have to give me a number on a scale of one to 10, how much stress do you have as we start this? year with your business and with your personal life? Oh, gosh. I think, okay, I'll, I'll go for 10, 11, 12, 13. Wow. 
free. Yeah. No, because I, it's the first time I've been away from the Philippines and I left the business there. We are doing our house, as you know. So there were so many things that are stressing me out. The sales are down as well. So yeah. Okay. So speaking of being stressed, today's episode is going to be about managing our mental wellness. And this is a topic that a lot of our listeners have been asking since the start of this podcast. And I was telling them, give us some time. I'm going to be dedicating it in the last few episodes. So today is going to be all about that. When we talk about being mentally well, we often attribute it to two main culprits. And those two words are the words stress and anxiety. Yeah. Here's the catch though. Chad, do you know the difference between the two? Yes. Stress is something that you're feeling at the moment. It's being caused by tasks, people around you. Mm -hmm. Anxiety is more of overthinking, not knowing what's going to happen in the next few days. I think that's how I would differentiate the two. You got it right. So anxiety has something to do more with your personal interpretation of what could happen. Stress, yeah. however, could be more universal. So I want to share this is a very important part because stress and anxiety are over our words that most people interchange. And sometimes we have to be very responsible with our choice of words because if we interchange them without alluding to the right reasons, we might not be able to pinpointing. If we ever have to talk to at some point to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, for example, we might not be able to pinpoint what's really causing our feelings. So stress is mostly short term. It's in response to a recognized threat. So you can be easily stressed with a deadline that's looming. You can be stressed because you don't have enough money anymore and the day of the salary is still five days away. Most people experience the same stress based on the same causes. Anxiety, on the other hand, the trigger may be unique to the person. So some people can experience anxiety when they face an audience. Some people don't. And for that reason, generally, stress and anxiety can coexist, but they may also be independent of each other. But our ultimate goal is both need to be managed. So I want to make a disclaimer here. Obviously, Jed and I are not professional experts, neither no, are not. we doctors. Yeah. <laughs> but I would love to dedicate this episode about discussing what does the literature, and at the same time, what are some anecdotes, and also our personal experiences as a way to invite our listeners to also share your experiences. If you are listening to this, give us a hello, give us a DM, give us a comment in the chat box, for example, on social mm -hmm. media of how you've been feeling since the COVID-19 and the pandemic has started. Because let's face it, guys, that has been the cause of stress and anxiety for to many, many people. Yeah, especially now with the Omicron variant. Oh, it's just causing too much stress for everyone. Like we thought that it's going to be over. And then now here's a revenge. I'm here's back. A revenge virus. <laughs> Yeah. Jet, do you also agree that when you are stressed and anxious, most people think it's only about your mental health, but do you know that it can also spill over into your physical health? Of course, of course. I mean, it's, is, we, it's really true that when you have anxiety and stress, you would feel something with your body. It's very true. Some people get numb, some people get shivers, some people get sweats. So it really transcends to your physicality when you're very stressed and when you're anxious. And I want to share something with you that we've discussed in the past. Physical health also happens in a way, for example, like some people, when they get stressed so much, experience what we call as the irritable bowel syndrome. Yes, I totally right? agree with this. I remember, can you share with our audience what happened to you when you were in your first few weeks in Tokyo? Yeah, so it's not really first few weeks. I mean, it took for, like 
months, like maybe close to a year, maybe. It's it's really the stress of being relocated to another country. Eating new food is also causing a stress to some people, not knowing the language at the first at the beginning. So I had irritable bowel syndrome when I first moved to Tokyo. It was really the not having any job at that point, not knowing where my direction would be other than, you know, I'm just being a student there and not having a lot of money. So all these things caused stress to me. And that's why I had an irritable bowel syndrome for nearly a year, actually. And by the way, IBS can be manifested by either diarrhea or constipation, for example. Or both. It's alternating, alternating diarrhea and uh, constipation. So hear me out. And here's where I'm going to be apologetic. When I was younger, I thought that people who experience this are just people who are like, ah, it's all in the mind. You know, you can, you can snap out of it. When it finally happened to me, I'm like, gosh, this is real. It yeah. does transcend from your mental wellness into your physical wellness. Another example is migraine. Your migraine can be triggered every time you feel stressed because you had had a long day. And another one, which here's where I'm going to be vulnerable. I experienced this in 2021. So sometime in August and September, I had a series of personal problems, romantic problems. Uh, Mm. I broke up with someone and it caused me so much anxiety about being left out, being alone. And for three months, I was experiencing nausea. So I went to the doctor, I asked all these things. And one of the things that the doctor mentioned to me was that, are you experiencing a level of anxiety or as a feeling of being depressed? Obviously, I was not clinically diagnosed at that time. But that was when I realized that nausea, nausea, by the way, is the feeling of vomiting, can be caused by how you think. And remember, your Your gut is actually the second brain of the body. So it is not going to be surprising that what how you think can affect how your body feels. It's amazing, Jed, no? Yeah, it is. It is. It's this is something that I thought was the first world sickness. I thought it's the sickness of people who don't have any other problems in life. But apparently it does happen. And also I think it helps that a lot of people are experiencing this, but also vocalizing what their experiences. So it gets known out there. People get educated more and more about it. Agree. So let's talk about some of our favorite personal anecdotes and also some experiences and tips. And the key here is to have a rich discussion of what can work with you may not necessarily work with others, but it's always good to understand what other folks are also doing about it. So here's my first tip that I'd like to share. If you're chasing satisfaction or mental wellness, it's something that you need to embrace as something that you work for, not just something that you discover. At many times of the day, you need to chase and hustle for it. Jed, can I ask on a scale of 1 to 10, how satisfied are you overall with your life? 10 is the highest. I'd say 10. Yeah, I'm very satisfied with my life. Very good. And it's the same thing that I'd like to raise. Whenever we see some people who are not generally happy or satisfied with their lives, we often think that, well, it's their fault. It's their fault because they didn't do something about it. They didn't work hard. They didn't study hard. But a lot of us fail to understand that some people may not be as generally happy or chirpy or energetic as you simply because of their biological constraints. I get disappointed when people do not understand that it could be an issue of hormone imbalance in their body. Do you agree with that part as well? It's very true. I do have friends who has this hormonal imbalance and you know you can't help but just be very empathetic with them some are naturally predisposed to release or trigger chemicals than others yes they're the four magic hormones that affect our happiness and our mood you have your dopamine which is the reward chemical you have your oxytocin or your love hormone 
you have your serotonin as your mood stabilizer and you have your endorphin, which is the painkiller, right? In this case, makes you happier in, in, in this case. What we know is that based on anecdotes and studies, people have generally a good amount of this that allows them to balance their life, but not everyone gets to experience the right amount of hormones in their body as well. So hormones are one thing that predispose you to be happier or less happy or less content in life. Another example is also is environment. Some people are just happen to be lucky to be surrounded by happy triggers, mm-hmm. like being able to wake up in the morning with a beautiful view. I think that significantly helps you to be happier in life, but not everyone is lucky to be born with that part, right? The third one, I think, is lack of understanding. Not knowing, for example, how social media works. We know that there's a published study that for teenagers, the overuse of Facebook makes them compare themselves too much with others, which causes their depression. And unfortunately, if you don't know how algorithm of Facebook works, you end up thinking that the rest of the world is enjoying a better life than yours, which causes you sadness. Jed, are you guilty of this? That sometimes when you check on Instagram or Facebook, you feel like a pinch of, hey, I am not as good as this person. I am not as... I am- a little bit, a little bit. But I think I'm very confident with myself at the moment. Given my age, I'm confident about who I am and what my capabilities are, what my weaknesses are. So I think I'm okay, really. Like I, It doesn't really trigger me at all. Which is good because as you mentioned, it comes with age, it comes with wisdom, it comes with your experiences. But and also acceptance. And also acceptance. I love because, that word. You know, at this day and age, people are bombarding you with memes and thought bubbles to say that this is how you are supposed to be. But when you really accept that this is who you are, you accept your weaknesses, I think it's making you more stronger and, and more confident about yourself. I'm going to disclaim, ladies and gentlemen, that that's how I'm impressed with my brother. Unfortunately, not everyone is like that. So <laughs> if you can sell a magic oil jed that you can put on Lazada or Shopee, I will buy that. Because <laughs> I think... I wish. I think you know between the two of us, I'm more insecure than you. You are. So, <laughs> please do not announce that for the rest of the world. I'm just going to say this out loud. Jed really is the type who doesn't care what other people think. And no. I really... <laughs> I really admire that from him. I wish I was also the same. You know, because I'm in the business of having to project a public image. That's the reason why I'm more, how do you call this? I'm more concerned. And I think I have to be concerned at some point. So moving forward, now that we've established that happiness is not something that is naturally ingrained for all of us, can we take note of science-backed techniques in order for us to achieve a level of satisfaction and finally, ultimately, be able to achieve that happiness? So the first one is about caring for others. There are a lot of studies that show that if you end up sharing your love, and I mean love in a sense that you tend to spend your effort and time to someone, even if you could have spent it for yourself. One of my favorite studies, for example, show that when people are given money and they're asked to spend it, spending it for themselves, like buying shoes, buying clothes, versus spending it to someone else who needs it more, the people who are happier for a longer amount of time are those who are in the latter part, those who spent it for others. Do you agree with this one, Jed? Yeah, I totally agree. It's basically being able to share what you have with people now that you're already feeling self-actualized and you have everything. And when you care for others, you feel that you are giving back to the people. And I think that would be a a source of happiness for everyone. Studies Um, have shown that people who tend to live longer are people who tend to care for others. mm -hmm. There are also studies that support that when you get older and if you don't have anyone in your house, adopting a pet 
for example, that you can share your love with can also lead a healthier life. And there are also studies that show that there is what we call as the oxytocin ring, wherein the more you take care of a pet, the more your body releases that chemical, which makes you healthier at the end of the day. So try to Google search all these things, guys, because I am such a big fan of proving that being with someone, it doesn't have to be romantic. It could be a platonic friendship or whatever relationship. That feeling translates also to your physical health, the well-being of your heart, the well-being of your brain. Um, I'd just like to quickly share, when I was still younger, I, one of my favorite films is called Into the Wild. Mm. This is, um, I haven't I don't, seen it. Yeah, but it's a very nice film about Christopher McCandless. He shut himself out of humanity and tried to live in isolation in Alaska, tried to quote unquote to find himself, but then he eventually died living on his own. And when people came and, and discovered his van where he lived for a long time, when they opened it, there is a writing there by him that says, happiness is only real when shared and that really struck me because at the end of the day he thought that living alone would be the source of his real happiness but it felt to him it's really not because at the end of the day it's all about you sharing your lives and memories with people around you and caring for them and loving them at the end of the day Second is gratitude. Again, this is backed up by science. A lot of research has shown that when you end up counting your blessings, reminiscing how you feel that you are blessed with the yes. situation such as, it could have been X, but I'm happy because I got Y instead. I could have been born to a family that couldn't even afford to buy water or food, but here I am enjoying my hot cup of coffee, enjoying my hot shower in the morning, for example. And, so, and it's, it's also thinking about it could have been worse. For example, when you are, for example, here in my trip, I had a very bad diarrhea because of the food that I ate. It could have been worse. I could have fell off a ravine and you know, fell to my death. So at the end of the day, I would, I, even though yeah, I have diarrhea. Those two, are, those two are different things. Like that, That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So no matter how painful you are at the moment, you have to be grateful where you are now because it could have been worse. I love how gratitude is all about acknowledging the fact that while we can be in control of our life, there are a lot of things that are unpredictable. Yes. And that could, in one second, totally change the trajectory exactly. of your life as well. Yeah. Third, which I think is a very Filipino thing, it's been scientifically proven that when you sing and you let your lungs out, out there, it allows you to release your emotions that you cannot verbalize. Do you sing, Jet, whenever you feel like you're down? You know that I don't. <laughs> Don't. I don't. I I, I don't even like karaoke. I was about in Japan. to say, in my in my years of hanging out with you as my brother, we've never gone out to a karaoke. No, I don't like right. it. I'd never enjoy I, it. What? That is so un-Filipino of you to no, say. Yeah, I know, I know. And it's also un-Japanese in my blood. Who I mean, you know, I've been I've lived there, but I don't like it at all. I cannot count the number of times where I would go to YouTube, I would pick a song, and I would just sing like Brian McKnight songs, uh, Backstreet Boys songs, for example. Right. And it really makes you feel like your emotions. I mean, not romantic emotions, but any type of emotion. The fact that you're, you feel like you're shouting at the top of your lungs, it makes you feel better. Hey, so, this reminds me, you know, one of my favorite Japanese anime series is this thing called Agretsuko. 
it's basically very uninteresting because the, the makers of this anime are the makers of Sanrio. So all the characters are animals and they mm. portray specific characters in a real Japanese setting. And then Agretsuko is this cat and she's been abused. Uh, she's being harassed in the office, but she goes to karaoke at the end of her shift and then she just sings her lungs out like a, a rock and roll rock star. Like mm. she's growling. So this is really true. Like you really can release your emotions by singing. And that really takes out all the stresses and the tensions. It's very fun. You have to watch it. Agretzko. Okay. I'm a big fan of anime, so I'm going to do that. The last one is exercising, which allows you to release tension through a physical activity. Most people think that exercising is all about the vanity and the aesthetic part, you know, having a good body, etc. But there are a lot of scientific research that shows that exercising even benefits your brain. So if you're a fan of watching TED Talks, please Google search this, Wendy Suzuki. She's a neuroscientist and she talks about how exercising rewires the brain. And it even has been proven to help mitigate diseases like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's for the elderly. Yeah. In singing and exercising, you get to release your endorphins and oxytocin as well. So hustle, chase it. When you feel down, try to do something that can improve your mood instead. Rest. Rest is one of the aspects of being able to manage your pain, your anxiety, and your stress. Most of us think that resting is all about, ah, oh, you just need to sleep. Sleep it over and you'll feel better the next day. We think that resting is all about physical rest. Yeah. But rest can also be in other forms. You can have spiritual rest. If you, derive your, if you derive your calmness through meditating, use that route. There's also what they call as the social rest. Some people feel better when they are in the company of others. Laughing, sharing stories, cracking jokes. Use that route. Some people use rest in the sense of sensory rest. They feel better when they turn off the notifications of their phone. Some people have creative rest. I feel better when I do painting, when I sing, when I dance. This is why I think the 1980s era, most parents would tell their children, why are you always doing that? Why are you always dancing? Why are you always painting? Have some rest. When they fail to realize that that is the actual rest. Mm -hmm. So I want to highlight to everyone, if you think that rest is the antidote to stress and anxiety, do not confine your definition of rest to only the physical type of rest. There are different definitions that you can make use of. Agreed. All right, let's proceed. Tip number two. I want to share one of my favorite studies of all time. This wasn't given a lot of attention when it was first published, but it has been gaining ground since the 1990s and even up until today when we study addiction and depression, which I think is a big issue in the modern time. So this is the Rat Park Addiction Study by Bruce Alexander and his company. It was published in 1981, and it's a study about a group of rats trying to analyze how would they behave inside a cage if they were addicted to a certain drug. So this was a study that obviously is, if this happens to rats, can we conclude the same thing perhaps if it's similar to human beings? So here's what happened, Jed. So there were a group of rats who were placed in cages. Cage, let's just simplify things. Visualize it as if cage one, the rat was given a morphine. And obviously when you're given a morphine, you get addicted to it. It's the only thing that you face in your life because you're inside a cage, you cannot go anywhere else. It's the morphine and your secluded life. 
Cage number two also had the same thing. But the difference was that in cage number two, a few weeks later, after a few time, they added a few elements. They added more rats that you can play with. They made the cage more spacious so you can mate, you can play around. And they made a rat park, like a theme park. So you can have some balls, some slides, you know those wheels that you have in hamsters' cages? So cage one only had the morphine and it had a secluded life. The cage was very small. Cage number two, the cage was made bigger. There were also additional rats placed in it. And there were also food and there was also a theme park. Obviously, in cage number one, the rat continued getting addicted. In cage number two, what do you think happened? Do you think the rat would continue to be addicted with the morphine even if it was made available in the cage? I think they would be more, yeah. They would be more addicted? Yes. Okay, and why is that? Interesting response. I guess that's the effect of the morphine to you, that you okay. really get addicted. It was the opposite. Okay. And this, and this goes to show the effect of people getting secluded in their life. So in cage number two, because there were other rats to play with, there was a rat park, there were food, they ended up diverting their attention to these things. They mm. ended up forgetting about the morphine. Isn't that an amazing information? I right? guess that makes sense. You know, when people would say that you need to go and meet more people, you need exactly. to do exactly. sports exactly. and hang out with people so in the sports. Conclusion, yeah. The conclusion of the study was that what made the rats addicted is not the morphine. What made the rats addicted is the cage. Because in cage number one, you have nothing else to do because you are trapped in the same place. Right. Think, think about this as a person who keeps on staying in the same room and you wouldn't even get out. You wouldn't ask for help. You wouldn't reach out to other people. In cage number two, you have other playmates. You have food. You have a rat park. You have opportunity to mate, for example. So you end up diverting your attention to other things that are also more valuable in life. The idea of reaching out to others, asking for help when you feel that you have been isolated for too long. This, I think, is very important in the time of pandemic when we are all trapped in our homes. And I, yeah. this is a special place in my heart because I felt the same thing. I live alone. I have nothing else but my webinars, all the social media, and I was wishing that I can interact with other people. All right. So last tip, Jed, I'd like to share. Let's talk about motivation in this case. Question, if you think you're busy with life or if you think that you are running out of time to accomplish a lot of things, do you agree that you would always blame it on the idea that you don't have enough time? It's always like that. I, um, there's always not much time and you wish that your body could be half, could be split into different parts so you could do all the things at one time. So here's where I'm going to challenge you. I think if you want to achieve more things in life, don't just manage your time. Manage also your motivation. Time is finite, but motivation is renewable and motivation is also changeable. So when someone tells me, for example, I don't have time, I have to finish this first. And this is usually what makes people stressed because there are so many deadlines to submit and yet I have limited amount of time, right? I think a lot of us have been guilty of saying this to someone, I can't push any further. Can't you see I'm busy? I'm sorry, I have other things to do. And so when someone says, I don't have time, or if you say this to someone that you don't have time, I think the person is politely lying. Do you agree? <laughs> if your customer, if your client tells you, Jed, sorry, I don't have time to browse through your brochure. Sorry, let's do it next week. What do you think the person really means? That they're lazy and that they want That's to one. be spoon-fed. That's one. What else? When someone says, I don't have time. 
Sorry, I don't have time to meet up tonight. Sorry, I don't have time to do a Zoom call tomorrow. It's, it's, it's just that it's not their priority as well. Exactly. Very good. When someone says it's not, I don't have time, the person is politely lying. They just don't want to hurt their feelings. Yeah. So they would say, it's not my priority. It's not what I want to do. However, when the person says that to you, what he's really implying is that, sorry, I got 500 things to do. You just happen to be in my priority number 380. That's right. Yeah. The key, therefore, to getting someone do something to motivate them to do something is not to extend the deadline. Most of us will keep on saying, you know, let's just do this next week. Let's just catch up again next month. Okay, maybe another time. If you keep on extending the deadline, the person will keep on giving an excuse. The key to making that person commit is not to extend the deadline. It's based on how you can change their motivation. The solution is to change how they see you as a priority. Make them bump you up from priority number 295 to priority number one and two. Because I'm a believer of this. If you want something so bad, your time will adjust to it. Time is not found. It is created. It is true. So I'm on a dating spree these days. Okay. And every time... <laughs> too much info. Ding, 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 ding. No, 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 no. I'm not going to share too much information. But all I'm saying, I'm trying to connect this to the idea of time. If you're trying to ask out someone and they will keep on saying, sorry, I don't have time. It already sends a message from that person that they're not seeing you as a priority to meet up. I totally agree with that. It's just not dates. It's just not dates. It's uh, Sometimes it's also your friends. Sometimes it's also your relatives. It just means that they're not the priority at the moment. Because if if they really wish to meet up with you, they will make a way to meet up with you. Exactly. That's basically it. If you want something so bad, you will never give an excuse to it. And this is why I also a believer, motivation is more powerful than time. Even if you only have five minutes left, even if you have one hour left, if you really want it so bad, you're going to get it done because you're motivated to get it done. Here's where I want to connect now. Speaking of anxiety and stress. We all are afraid to do something because we feel like we're afraid of failure, we're afraid of rejection, we're afraid of all these things. We need to manage our motivation. But the question now is, John, but how do you manage your motivation? It's easy for you to say that because you're a motivational speaker. What about for the rest of us? Well, my mantra when it comes to managing your motivation is to treat motivation like an investment. Jed, if you have X amount of money, like a million dollars, for example, where would you put the money? Put them in different baskets. Very good. So you diversify your assets. You spread the opportunities yeah. so you can mitigate the risks. If you have $1 million, you don't put it into a savings account because the interest earned is so small. So you put it into equities, into bonds, into insurance, into money market. I want to highlight that this is the same thing for motivation. To become a motivated person that will allow you to overcome the stress and the anxiety that you're feeling, please do not put all of your motivations in one basket. You have to spread it across multiple sources. And here's where I learned this the hard way. Please never anchor yourself to only one person or thing. Because the moment you anchor yourself to one person or thing, what happens, Jed? Of course, there would be depression at the beginning. Exactly, exactly. So anchoring yourself to only one person or thing will inevitably lead to your own crumble. It can lead to your falling at the end of the day. So I would like to challenge you instead, don't put all of your motivation into one person or thing. Spread yep. it across. I totally put, agree. Put some of it into your friends and loved ones. Put some of it into your career. Some of it into your passion and hobbies, into your business, etc. So that if one of them does not do well, you still have other baskets to lean on to. And that's exactly how I think motivation should be. Never define yourself to what you do in life. Because the moment you fail in that aspect, 
you start thinking that you are a failure. I manage an identity that is multidimensional. Yes, most of my time is spent on being a motivational speaker, but I'm not just a motivational speaker. I'm also a father of my pet dog. I love watching documentaries. I love listening to jazz music. I define myself into multiple sources. Same thing with you, Jed. You're not just a businessman. You're not just an architect. You're a brother. You love watching films. You love Japan. You love eating and cooking, for example. Mm -hmm. So the more you get motivated with a lot of these things, you know you have other baskets to lean on to. In fact, during parties and dinners, when I meet acquaintances, I actually don't like talking about work, honestly. It's difficult to talk about work because you try to up yourself way too much with people and then they try to up you as well. Like they, you, you try to compete with each other with, in terms of social status. And I don't like that. And I hate um, it as well because it makes it look like that's the only thing you have to achieve in life. Yes. And it, that's a measure of success. I don't like that. Um, exactly. The measure of success for me is basically happiness and um, being satisfied, being self-actualized, that's t that to me is a measure of success and happiness, yeah. And speaking of happiness, I'm very happy with this episode, Jed. And I wish you the safe travels because you still need to be quarantined and isolated when you get back home here in Manila. I How know. I'm not looking forward to it. But, you know, if some obstacles or some hiccups may come along the way, I'm just going to be grateful about the memories. I'm going to think about the happy memories, the food, the people, and the travels and experiences that I've had here in Sri Lanka. And I think that would at least help me go through the hiccups along the way. And of course, also the idea that, hey, gratitude, because as we mentioned a while ago, because the fact that you were able to get out, that's a yeah, luxury. Exactly. Yes. In the time of COVID-19. So same thing for our listeners. We ask if you can, it will be great if you can share all your experiences and the things that you've experienced through the COVID-19. Maybe if you can, if you're listening to this, type it on the social media, send us a DM, send us an email. What have you experienced when COVID-19 happened? And what were the things that you did successfully to overcome your anxieties and also your stress? Yeah, that would be great because at least some people would read the comments and who knows, they could also be good points for them to help themselves along the way. All right, see you in the next episode, Jed, here in Manila. See you then. Bye, guys. Bye. Yeah.